We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the RotoWire Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. If you use the promo code ROTOHOOPS, that's R-O-T-O-H-O-O-P-S, you can use that promo code. You'll get a free contest entry on DraftKings when you deposit today. All right, it is Tuesday, October 13th, the year 2015. A lot of NBA birthdays today. Happy birthday to Jermaine O'Neal, Doc Rivers, Paul Pierce. Um, It's not my birthday. I'm Nick Whalen. Uh, Rotowire's assistant NBA editor. Seated to my right, my good friend DJ Trainer. DJ, it's officially vest season in Wisconsin. I uh, see so you're going with the pullover today, uh, but I was thrilled to check the weather report this morning and see see was in the 40s and, and toss on the vest. Are you a vest guy? Not a vest guy at all. I think maybe first grade I owned my first vest, and second grade I think I ditched it pretty quick. Oh my god! It was it was I, I grew real quickly. 
Okay. Through real quickly. It's just, it's just a fit issue more than anything. Is you know, it's just you grow out a vest too quickly. I, it's just more of like a style thing. Not that I have style at all, but uh, I mean, you're looking good in the vest. I'm not going to clown on vests too much, but uh, not something I'm just you know what I need a vest in my my repertoire of of clothing. Right. So it's, it's just so versatile, you know. I mean. You're, I, you're lucky I actually chose to wear a shirt under the vest today. But you're sweating that... right now. Like, make no bones about it. Everyone's, like, real giddy to wear the winter attire that they purchased over the summer. And then it turns out to be, like, a 74-degree day, and yeah. you're just sweating it out here in the office Yeah, you right don't want to jump the gun. It is always very warm in the Roto office, especially in the, the RotoWire studio here, which does not have any ventilation that I'm aware of. I think this office, before we moved here a couple of years ago, was an office for like the like a DEA branch or some branch of like the government and I know that like, the walls were all like reinforced with like a bunch of steel and stuff so there's just not not a lot of passageways for for air to get in here which I think is why we get the drastic temperatures that we do um we want to talk about rookies on the podcast. Not today. a smooth transition after that. What are you talking? Well, there's not there's really no way to transition no, I guess I from temperature. No, not a good way to go from vest to NBA rookies. Eh, I mean, what where should we have words we have used as a transition, I guess. Jahil Okafor wears a vest. He seems like a vest guy to me. I could see that. I think I could see him wearing like a, a down vest, a puffy vest. Yeah. Yeah. I Sure. I mean, I think so. Speaking of Jahil Okafor, what year is he in the NBA? I think this is his first year. He's a rookie. He's a rookie. Right? Um, and that leads us into what we want to talk about on today's podcast, and that is rookies. So as we kind of continue... Uh, as you applaud me here, thank you very much. As we continue our kind of grab bag of podcasts here in the in the preseason, um, you know, once the regular season starts up in a couple of weeks, we're exactly two weeks out now from Cavaliers, yes. Bulls. Uh, I know Pelicans play on opening night. I think maybe they get the Thunder. I'm not really sure. There, I think there's three games on that opening Tuesday, but we're exactly a week away from real basketball. No more guys resting. No more weird rotations in the preseason. Um, but once the season starts, you know, we'll have a lot more to talk about on a day to day basis. Right now. Just kind of keep up with our with our previews, um, you know, looking at position groups, looking at different types of players, and like we said, we want to talk about rookies today. Before we do that, just a reminder: the RotoWire Basketball Podcast is available on iTunes. It's available on Stitcher. Please feel free to leave us a nice review on either of those if you're listening there. You can also listen and download to the podcast. Uh, listen to the podcast and download, I should say, on the RotoWire website. Just go to RotoWire.com/podcast. You'll find the RotoWire Basketball Podcast there. You'll find our daily fantasy podcast, our football, hockey, pretty much any podcast that you're looking for is on that page. And like I said, you can stream straight from there and you can download the MP3 straight from there as well. All right, so we'll start um, with the rookies that we like. I put together a list and I think you have a list of your own of, of guys that you like, maybe a couple sleepers and then guys that you dislike. And remember, these are mostly from a fantasy perspective. You know, I think we can, we can safely say certain guys you know could end up being very good players but they just might not be that good uh as a rookie in year one for fantasy but we'll start with guys we like and I think this is a pretty obvious one Carl Anthony Towns yeah and before we jump into Towns I just want to say a disclaimer because last week on the podcast I think it was with uh Josh Hayes me and Josh do the Wednesday podcast I I came out and said I tried to avoid and fade rookies in pretty much every type of league I'm in um for the most part I just don't I just don't see much upside at all in taking rookies. I always want to have a guy I know what they're going to do, someone who has a track record in the NBA. I know what to expect. I know, you know, what do they say? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Uh, None of these guys are devils. But let's just take a look back. Let's just go two years back. So the rookie class last year, Nick, there were five players that averaged at least 10 points. Can you name those five? 
five players that average at least 10 points. Andrew Wiggins. Right. Jordan Clarkson. Yes. Uh, are we counting Jabari Parker? Nope. We're not? Is there minimum games played? Right. Um, let's see. About 45. 32 games played at least. 32 games played. And we'll played. speed this along because this is pain for the listeners, I'm sure. No, um, I don't think – Zach Levine, did he get there? Zach Levine did. Did. Um, how about Marcus Smart? No. So I'll just step in here. So Langston Galloway, Nikola Miritich ah, were the last two. So you did a great job. But here's the thing. Wiggins is the only guy that I really would want to have on my team for the whole year last year, right? And right. so let's go back one more year. We're not going to play the guessing game. But in terms of what rookies produce, Michael Carter-Williams, Oladipo, Trey Burke, Hardaway, those were the top four rookie, rookie scores a couple years ago. So when I say that I fade rookies, it's for a reason. There's only a couple guys, maybe Carter-Williams, Oladipo, two years ago. Last year for me, just, uh, just Wiggins was the only one. So when we're looking at this rookie class, I am going to critique them like you know where we should you – know, their, their game, but in general, I just fade them completely, almost almost completely. I think that's a very accurate way to look at it. You know, watching these guys in college or whatever it may be, you know, Moody is a unique situation. It's easy to get excited about them. You know, you see your team take a guy in the top five, top ten. You know, you, you want that spark that's initially going to be there, but it's so tough to remember that rookies typically don't shoot a high percentage, especially guards. Um, and like you said, there's only a handful each year that really end up making a difference, even in you know. Two years ago, the draft was considered not that deep. It really ended up producing probably better rookies than the last draft in 2014 overall, uh, and that was considered to be a much deeper draft. So we just don't know. It's so much about positional fit and about minutes more than anything else. Yeah, minutes is the most important factor, but then again, you know, like you said, Nick, field goal percentage is going to be pretty low for most rookies. You look at some guy like uh, Okafer, of course he's going to have a, f- a higher field goal percentage um, than most of the rookies, but that's just because he hangs out in the post and and will you know he's he's already has a lot of good post moves. But his field goal percentage might get better after a couple years in the league, even yet. And so um, yeah, so that's just my disclaimer. But we can jump into it now. Just wanted to throw that out there, especially since I mentioned it last week. Right, and the field goal percentage thing is is a big point. I mean, you look at Okafor shot like sixty four percent, I think, at Duke last season, sixty six percent, and. For a rookie big man, that's just not sustainable. Unless you're a DeAndre Jordan type, where you're just flying to the rim, you're taking extremely high percentage shots. Um, and Okafor is going to be taking a lot of high percentage shots, but not to the point, um, you know, that you that you like to make six, seven, eight, uh, nine out of ten, like like I mentioned with Jordan or or a guy like Andre Drummond who just kind of feasts on dunks. But Okafor is not that type of player. So I think it's important to just kind of temper expectations. I mean, Anthony Davis is another example, a guy who shot sixty two percent at Kentucky comes into the NBA as a rookie, that goes down to 51%, you know, and it's Anthony Davis. So I I think it's just, you can look at college stats. Those are helpful in a lot of ways, but you just really can't project anyone, especially from a percentage standpoint, just based on college statistics. The only thing that I would project and have somewhat confidence in would be free throw percentage. Right. Otherwise, uh, I really don't care because in terms of the backdrop, backdrop, you're going to have crazy fans. And you might even argue that in college it would be harder because a lot of time you have student sections behind NBA. It's just a bunch of people trying to have a nice night. They're not really waving too many streamers. Of course, there's some there's some scenarios. But free throw percentage is the only thing that I think that you can truly project onto a rookie's NBA game. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into guys that we like. Like I said, Carl Anthony Towns, he's a guy that I do like quite a bit. I think he's going to be a good pick-and-roll partner for Rubio. I think 
the question is how that front court rotation works out. Gorgie Jang is still there. He's on a, the final year of his rookie deal. Pekovic is still there. He's got something like $36 million, I believe, left on that monster extension that he signed uh, last offseason. And Kevin Garnett is there as a veteran. That's too many guys. I don't think Garnett's going to play big minutes. He probably ends up playing in something like 40 or 50% of the game's total by when it's all said and done. Uh, so he's not really my concern. But the Pekovic-Jang combination, it raises some question marks. I don't think the Timberwolves think they're going to compete this year, which, which is a plus. I think that gives them more incentive to play Carl Anthony Towns, not that they really need much more. But you know, at some point, are you, just, you can't have a three-man rotation like this with guys who you probably want on the court for maybe 20-plus minutes. Pekovic, I think people have really kind of come off him a little bit, and probably internally they have as well, mostly due to injury. He's such a limitation defensively. Um, but he's still a guy that, you know, at that salary, you don't want to just have him sitting on the end of your bench each night. And ideally, if you're Minnesota, you'd kind of be able to throw Carl Towns in like they did with Wiggins last year and just say, you know what, go play 36, 37 minutes a night. Do you think that's going to be realistic, or does he kind of stay maybe more closer to 30 minutes per game? Well, if you're looking at anyone to project big minutes, it is going to be Towns. And so if you're, if you're investing anywhere, 30 minutes might just be too much. Because here's the thing. I really like um, uh, Adrian Payne as well. He started, I know you're shaking your head a little bit. He started his career in Atlanta. He got traded or moved. I forget how exactly he made his way to the Timberwolves. But he's a guy I I don't mind at all. And if we're looking at developmental minutes in the final quarter of the season, he's a guy I'd want to throw out there for at least 20 minutes if your season is already lost at that point. Towns, is he going to go 30 minutes? I just don't know. Because then, once again, when you're looking, especially in Roto Leagues, in the final quarter of the season, things change. Strategy gets thrown out the window. Maybe they don't want Towns playing 30 minutes a game. Maybe they keep him to a 26 to 28 just to preserve him. If he gets a big injury at the end of the season, they'll, you know everyone will look dumb in that organization, especially when you have guys that can compete at an NBA level like Jang, like Pekovich. So it's, it's too muddled for me. It's, it's, it's really like the worst scenario in fantasy. You love that Kevin Garnett is, is coming home, so to speak, and he's going to finish out his career maybe the right way, teach all these young guys. But he throws a wrench into a situation where it really would be best if he just wasn't there at all and he was an assistant coach instead. Yeah, I think, like I said, Garnett's the least of my worries. I don't think... I don't think he's there to prove anything at this point. You know, I don't think he's going to be trying to steal minutes away from Carl Towns. I think he understands the reason that he's on this roster at this point in his career. Um, you know, like like you said about Towns, I, I really don't think it's going to be an issue where they're going to limit him at the end of the year at all. I mean, they started Andrew Wiggins' 82 games last year. I don't think they're going to rest him uh, for any reason, no matter what the situation is. Um, I think it's just kind of all about reps at this point. But the question is, you know, is like you said, is he going to see enough minutes? And I think if he's in the 26 to 28 range, that's on the low end for me. But if that's the case, then his value goes down you know, quite a bit. The other thing we're not factoring in here is potential injuries. I don't know why I'm assuming that Nikola Pekovic is going to be healthy for 82 games because that's probably not going to be the case. Jang's been banged up here and there, not nearly as much as Pekovic. Like I said, KG, probably not going to be playing every game. You know, two-thirds of the games is probably the ceiling for him. So maybe things will end up clearing out. You know, they, they do have a way of working themselves out, as we've seen over the years. Yeah, one thing that you brought up, Nick, when you introduced this topic is the pick and roll with Rubio and Towns, which it really should make you as excited as an NBA fan. Here's the thing with that, though. Ruby is all, Rubio is always hurt. And so maybe they could string 25 games together where there's – uh, <laughs> something magical, I guess you could say, or something dominant or something that you would really project in the next few years and say, man, this would be really fun to watch in the playoffs. 
but I just don't think Rubio can be a, a solid piece and really hang with Towns in terms of longevity. And I guess we'll find out too if Towns, uh, if he'll be able to make it 82 games like Wiggins. It's just such a rare case, especially when you're examining um, Jabari Parker, of course. Uh, Dante Exum, Julius Randle. I know Exum. I believe he played 82 games. Noah Vonley. Just you know, you never know what's going to happen, and so it would be it wouldn't be funny. But there's always the the case where this front court might thin out midway through the season. Right, and Rubio is a guy to worry about coming off of a season in which you played only 22 games. Did start all 82 the year before that, so you kind of figure he ends up somewhere between 22 and 82. Uh, That's I think, a good guess. I think I think low to mid 70s is probably the best-case scenario for them, and then the Wolves would be thrilled if that's the case. They do have Andre Miller as a backup point guard. His value is not something to, to write home about by any means, but if you're talking P&R partners for Carl Towns, there really aren't many 38-, 39-year-old veterans that are any better at it than Andre Miller. So I think his value obviously would take a step back if Rubio's hurt, but having a guy like Andre Miller there, uh, you know, a pass-first point guard kind of as insurance, it kind of would ease the blow in that situation because you're not going to have a shoot-first guy come in and end up taking touches away from Towns necessarily. Two more guys that I really like, and I think I've kind of grouped these two together uh, since the draft You know, when talking about them, is D'Angelo Russell and Emmanuel Moutier. More just hot takes flowing in. Uh, I think most people are probably pretty high on both of these guys uh, in real basketball and in fantasy basketball. The reason I grouped them together, you know, they're both lottery picks, they're both point guards, they're both the same age. And they're both coming into similar situations, bad teams that need point guards. Um, you know, the Lakers had Jordan Clarkson playing, excuse me, Clarkson playing uh, point guard for part of last season. You know, Kobe Bryant handled ball handling duties when he was healthy at times. They're moving Kobe Bryant, it sounds like, to small forward for, for a lot of his minutes. And the reason they're doing that is because they have Russell. If they didn't like Russell as much as they do, they wouldn't ask Kobe Bryant you know, to move to a different position. And you know, obviously he's at a different phase in his career right now where that's maybe a little bit easier to ask of him. Um, but I think both these guys are going to, like Carl Towns, have the potential to see huge minutes. I think they're going to basically be able to do whatever they want. You know, I don't think there's going to be much of a leash, especially on Moutier. I, I think the Lakers maybe have their eyes on on that final spot in the Western Conference, whether that's realistic or not. I don't think. Not I don't think. I don't think you and I think it's realistic. Um, but I think there are probably people within that organization that think that's realistic. So I think Russell maybe has a little bit of a shorter leash. That said, more potential for assists. Moutier, probably a little bit more potential for scoring. I think he might see a higher volume of attempts. I think he's going to see slightly more minutes. And, you know, like I said, he's just going to have a little bit more freedom uh, with that Denver offense that should play at a faster pace as well. The other thing I like about both these guys is they have great size for the position. Rebounding, the, the numbers might not be there as rookies, but I think projecting long term, they both project to be very, very adequate rebounders to probably above average rebounder for their position. Listen, the most important stat in fantasy, I'm probably going to say it every single week, so everybody say it with me, the most important stat in fantasy is minutes played. Turn up. Yeah, minutes played. Yep, yep, minutes played. And so uh, the two guys you're talking about, Russell (laughs) Russell Moutier, they're going to have a trial by fire. They're going to be out there quite a bit. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate exactly to fantasy potential or fantasy, fantasy production, excuse me. The potential is there because the minutes are there. In a dynasty format, Russell and Moutier, I love that they're going to get a bunch of minutes. And they're going to, I mean, it, it'll only take a couple of seasons be turn, before they turn into not veteran savvy point guards, but some, uh, a couple savvy point, guard, point guards if they're exposed 
um, just to everything right out of the gates in their first two seasons. So if I'm looking at their third, fourth, and fifth seasons, they're going to be ready to ball. I mean, they're going to be ready, especially when you're looking at other point guards that get eased into the action. So I like these guys in the long term. In the short term, too much could go wrong for me. There's just too much. You just don't know. Of course, Russell and Moutier, if I have to pick any guards, and I'll even throw in small forwards for that matter, that I would potentially pick if they just continued to drop in a standard league draft, it would be these two guards. But it just comes with, with too much caution for me. I'm just, I'm just staying away. Um, but, th- but that said, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to watch them over the next five years. Right, and I think we, that's a good point. You need to temper your expectations when you're comparing them to veteran guards. But I think when you look at the rest of this rookie crop, those are by far uh, the two point guards that you'd want to target if you are going to look at rookies in a draft. Um, like we said, they'll both see huge minutes, and you know, there's just not going to be the competition for playing time, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's a, the great point is behind Moutier is Jameer Nelson and Nick Johnson. So Nelson really is the only guy that's going to steal minutes there. If we're looking at Los Angeles, if you're moving Kobe down to the three, that means Jordan Clarkson is going to step in, probably start at the two. Um, or yep, And then D'Angelo, the, the backup point guard is, is Luis Williams, who is like a classic. Luis Williams? Luis, is he, is he Spanish? Luis Williams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, <laughs> there's nothing like trying to pronounce words into a microphone uh, that you just kind of fumble. Um, Luis Williams, he's a classic six-man off the bench. He's, he's won awards for that. Uh, he is going to come in, but in terms of stealing minutes from Russell, the next legitimate point guard you have on the roster is, is Marcelo Huertas. Did I pronounce that right? I, it's I Marcelo no Huertas. I believe. I don't know. I'm looking. I mean, what about what about a guy like Jordan Clarkson? Uh, I mean, 65 percent of his minutes at the point guard spot last season. Do you think they're just content, you know, kind of moving him to shooting guard? I think he might be the biggest threat to Russell. Um, like I said, I think the Lakers maybe have delusions of competing, and if it gets to the point where, oh God, I can't believe I'm even saying this. You know, if they're somewhat in contention no. in the second half, within just shut it down within right like now. within like 10 games of the eight seed, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I think rookies. There's so much value in playing them and getting them that exposure, but at the same time, it's very rare that a rookie actually helps you from a wins and losses perspective, um, you know, as far as efficiency. And and I think Russell can do that, but I think if it comes down to it and, and they're in a position where they want to actually win games rather than focus on development, then that's where the things get a little bit hairy. So let me ask you this question: You have Russell starting at the one, Clarkson starting at the two. You have Kobe Bryant starting at the three. How many touches? This has to stop. Yeah, okay, let's cut it right there. No more Kobe talk. So how many touches do you think that Brian is just going to absolutely steal from them? Do you think that Bryant cares about their developments within the Lakers organization? I don't think he cares one bit. I think Kobe wants to get his and still prove that he's one of the best players in the NBA for better or worse, and ultimately that's going to hurt Russell, that's going to hurt Clarkson. Vest is coming off, Vest by is the coming way. Off. If you, can, I if you, if you hear I some ruffling, that right at the top. Yeah, it's getting a little, a little toasty in here. Um, yeah, I think the, the question about Kobe is maybe the biggest thing that faces this Lakers team because you look up and down the starting five. I think they're not maybe quite as deep as they would like to be. I think that's another hot take. But Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell, Kobe Bryant, Julius Randle, Roy Hibbert, that's a solid starting five in this league. There's a good mixture of youth. Um, you, know, you have some, a couple decent bench guys. Again, nobody you really get excited about. But there's a decent mixture of youth. Some guy, you know, Roy Hibbert, not a guy that you love but a guy who's a serviceable starting center in the NBA. And there are teams that have worse center situations than him, the Dallas Mavericks, for example. Um, But the biggest question is Kobe. Like you said, is he willing to play team developmental basketball? Nope. Or is it going to be 
trial and error for Russell. Another kind of season of trial and error for Jordan Clarkson. He's still young. Julius Randle's basically a rookie. Like, how is Kobe Bryant going to react to playing with these guys? Is he still going to be trying to play 2010 Lakers basketball, or is he going to be willing to kind of take a step back and, and maybe be a little bit more of a facilitator than an offensive uh, ball dominator that, that he's pretty much been his entire career when healthy? Well, he does whatever he wants on any given night, right? And so was it last season or two seasons ago when he wanted to dish the ball out? He did it, and he dished out 10 assists a night. But I feel like he did it just to prove to people, like, hey, yeah, look, he I can do this. I don't like to do this, but, hey, if I want to do it, I can. Right, exactly. That's He's a bag of tricks. You never know what you're going to get from him. The next night he could take 30 shots, and, and Russell and Clarkson could just be sitting, and all the pictures we see from that night are with their hands on their knees while Kobe's jacking up shots. You just don't know. There's so much unknown. Kobe's such a wild card. Yeah, Roy Hibbert, I think he's going to have a resurgent year. He's going to be renewed in this offense. It's, it's going to be a good change for him, and he is probably one of the top half centers that you'd like to have on your team in general in terms of NBA centers. Uh, Julius Randle, basically a rookie, but I just don't know what Brian is going to do since this isn't a rookie podcast you got to be concerned with Bryant being on the same team as a rookie and a second-year guy and what, what they're going to do um, in terms of their production or their ability to get production. And it's almost a shame that Bryant was hurt for so much of last season because we didn't really get to see how he would have played with this team. You know, uh, There just wasn't that much of a sample size there, I guess. Uh, it wasn't pretty when he, when he was there, that's for sure. Um, it wasn't pretty when he left either. You remember when Bill Simmons showed him the take of Jordan Hill and Jeremy Hin- or, uh, Jordan Hill and Jeremy Lin? Were they just like celebrating a win, like right. like they had won, you know, a conference exactly. finals or something? That right. was maybe the best piece of TV. I've, yeah, I've exactly. Seen in a while. And if Kobe can channel that fire and borderline rage, I guess, into you know productive uh, advice, I guess, for these rookies, I think that's where it's going to matter. Where the biggest change could be saw. Where is he? Is he getting on them to help them, or is he getting on them because he's upset with them and he wants to win basketball games ahead of? Um, you know, kind of putting that ahead of their development, I guess. And those things do kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. I'm not, and I'm not saying you can fault Kobe Bryant for wanting to win basketball games, but I think at some point he's going to need to kind of find that happy medium between understanding where the development comes and understanding kind of where this franchise is at this time. Right. So if you have, you have Kevin Garnett and you have Kobe Bryant, both fiery guys – but if I'm if I'm ha- if if I could choose to have one in my organization, either have Garnett Garnett mentoring the front court. I can't pronounce any words today, especially. Have, have I just been mispronouncing names? all these names wrong all this time? Maybe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Garnett, Kobe, uh, Luis. Anyways, or if if I have Kobe Bryant potentially mentoring the backcourt of L.A., I'm gonna pick Garnett. I think he's a guy that you know he knows his role. Nick, you said that Kobe Bryant still has something to prove, not only in Los Angeles but to the rest of the league as career as his career moves into the twilight stages. It, sadly, that might not be a good thing. I don't know. I don't no, know if we want cur- present day present day Kobe Bryant with something to prove might not be what's best for the Los Angeles Lakers, but we shall see. That's going to be one of the more interesting storylines, and I certainly hope Kobe can stay healthy just to kind of see how that plays out. Another rookie that I like, a guy we touched on briefly at the start, Jalil Okafor, he falls into that category of, you know, one, a very good player, a highly drafted player, a guy who's very skilled already and maybe the most NBA-ready big man to come into the draft. Two, he's going to see a bunch of minutes. And I think his, his minute situation is probably the best out of any rookie. And that's saying a lot because I love uh, both the opportunities for, for Russell and for Moutier. But the 76ers team has like one and a half assets outside of uh, Julio Okafor. 
not counting Joel Embiid. I'm counting like Robert Covington. Give, sure, give him a half asset, and that might not even that might not even do it. He's like a quarter of an asset. But obviously, they have Nerlens Noel, who they like. I think he's part of the future. And other than that, they like everyone else is kind of disposable, right? You know, it's not like they're they're not obligated to give any minutes to some of these backup guys. You know, your Furkan Aldemirs of the world and guys like that. You know, that's not going to. There's no there's no obligation there at all. There's no we need to get this guy this many minutes or he's going to be upset. That's not that's not in their thinking. And that basically means that Joel Okafor has no impedances to big minutes on most nights. Clearly, they took him with the intent to play him alongside Noel. Whether that works out for better or for worse, we'll see. But from a fantasy perspective, it's, it's kind of a dream because he doesn't have to worry about protecting the rim as much. Uh, that was kind of the big fault coming out of Duke. Now you're playing with one of the better young rim, def- rim protectors, I should say, in the league, in Noel. So it, it's going to be a situation where Okafor is probably going to suffer on defense. He might find himself in foul trouble on a lot of nights. That's a concern. But he's with Noel there. I don't think that's going to be the focal point, and he'll be able to focus maybe a little bit more on the offensive end. Yeah, it really is a great setup for him. I would give more more credit to Robert Covington, especially in a fantasy format. Um, real NBA basketball, he's a half asset, which is just a great term that you just invented. Half asset, great term. Anyways, in terms of fantasy, though, I, I would target Robert Robert Covington in every single league as I just continue to struggle <laughs> on this Tuesday. Um, anyways... Okafer is a guy, if I had to pick one rookie to target in leagues, I know I gave out my disclaimer, he's the one guy I want. I saw his post moves in college, and I think he has the most well-rounded, I think he'll be able to beat a lot of centers or a lot of power forwards that he's going to go up against in the NBA. He's going to get a lot of touches. I mean, he just seems well-rounded in terms of his offensive game. Defense, like you said, Nick, Noel is really one of the one of the better guys he could play alongside you're assuming and grow with over the next couple of years I like Okafor per, for offensive production in his rookie season and but the rest of his team like you said is just completely interchangeable and you wonder how that would affect him probably not a whole lot because most players on the NBA roster yes even the Sixers can find a way to just give Okafor the ball down low it shouldn't be that hard I think the athleticism issue is a little bit overblown right that was one of the knocks on him was that he's not a great athlete he's maybe not even a good athlete you know I think he's an he's an adequate athlete he's for the position he's an NBA athlete right but and, not a good athlete right and, and people seem to think you know that's a major issue and defensively it probably is but if you look at some of the centers who are effective in fantasy basically just in counting stats you know Al Jefferson when healthy not very athletic DeMarcus Cousins is sneakily athletic, I think, for his size, but he's not a guy that you would think of as like a freak athlete at the position. And there's really only a couple of those in the NBA right now. You know, Vucevic, he's not really a great athlete, although he brings the jump shooting aspect and you know just kind of an overall uh, offensive game that Okafor doesn't have right now. I just think that's a little bit overblown. And like I said, it's going to hurt him defensively. There's no question about that. But I think he's he's athletic enough, he's crafty enough, and he's skilled enough around the basket that scoring is not really going to be a huge issue for him as a rookie, especially with as many touches as he's probably going to get. Yeah, so here's the thing. You don't need to be athletic to be able to position your body in strategic ways, and that's what he knows how to do. Uh, On defense, that's going to hurt him. Like you said, Noel is a freak athlete, and usually freak athletes are really good on defense because they just go, they just ball hawk the ball, and so they just go after it. But he knows how to position his body. He has a whole arsenal of moves. It's not just one post move, two mo- two post moves. He's got everything in his game, and you know it, it's going to work out well for him. I just think that um, on the offensive side of the ball, he's going to he's going to do great. Am I going to get him in a lot of drafts? I don't know, but he is a little tempting for me, someone who doesn't go after rookies in general. All right, so all the guys we just talked about 
were premier players in this draft. Top seven picks. Moutier was the lowest at number seven of those four. We'll go with some sleepers now. And the guy I want to start with probably isn't, you know, he's on the borderline of a sleeper, uh, Stanley Johnson. So he's the eighth overall pick. You know, hard to call a guy like that a sleeper. But considering the feelings on draft night of where, you know, him going that high and, you know, kind of the the lackluster-ish year. I think the numbers were good at Arizona, but people were expecting a little bit more from a guy that a lot of recruiting services had as a number one overall player. And all of a sudden it's summer league and he starts to show that. But it's just summer league and all of a sudden it's the preseason and now it's starting to look a little bit more concrete. I mean, he's been great uh, through a couple preseason games for Detroit. He's moving into the starting lineup for Tuesday's game. Again, probably not anything that means a whole lot, but if there's one guy I believe, and Stan Van Gundy said this over the summer, that every position on this team is up for grabs, and you hear that from a lot of coaches, especially new coaches that come in, but if there's one guy I believe who would actually mean that and have every spot up for competition, it's probably Stan Van Gundy, right? I think we can lock Reggie Jackson in as a starting point guard and Andre Drummond in as a starting center, but other than that, I really do think that those other three spots are pretty much up for grabs. I mean, there are favorites at each spot, but Stanley Johnson is a guy who can play shooting guard. He probably projects long-term as a small forward, could maybe play small stretch four at some point in his career. And, yeah, I mean, stay with me. Rashard Lewis, you know, we, we talked so much about SVG and those Orlando teams that he always wants to replicate. Rashard Lewis isn't all that much bigger than Stanley Johnson. He's taller, but he's probably, he's probably thinner even at this point in Johnson's career. And then, you know, Johnson will eventually bulk up as most NBA players do in two, three years. So I think he's more, he's probably the most versatile option. They have Marcus Morris, they have Ursan Ilyasova, um, probably a couple other guys that I'm forgetting. I think Anthony Tolliver's still there. Um, but I think Johnson's probably, you like Johnson with the highest upside of those three guys, at least maybe not in year one, but down the road. So I think he's going to end up playing a little bit more than I thought he was going to on draft night. Um, I was a big proponent of Justice Winslow going to going to Detroit at number eight. I thought that was a huge miss by them. But I mean, through summer league and through preseason, and from everything we've read and watched, it sounds like Johnson is you know maybe going to end up being the more valuable asset at at least right away. Right, he's 19 years old. I mean, I just can't get over that. He I mean, he was a freshman at Arizona, and he made a lot of freshman dumb mistakes. Where I think he got I'm not sure that he got benched, but he had a lot of like hot headed moves on the court. Where you know some there was I don't want to say maturity issues, but he was just he was just a freshman. He's a he's I a think it was it, well, it was a tough situation going in onto a team that was just coming off of a run to the Elite Eight. Yeah, um, a team that returned a lot of veterans. Yeah, I think you're bringing in arguably the number one overall recruit uh, to a team that already has you know three or four established options. You know, T.J. McConnell, Hollis Jefferson, Tarzuski, um, Gabe York. Even you, you're bringing him onto this team that doesn't necessarily need this huge freshman spark to be good, you know? So I think, I think it was maybe a little bit of a battle between I want to be the man here and, you know, we don't necessarily need you to be the man. You know, we have other options. So I think it took a while for that to kind of sort itself out. But by the end of the year, I mean, he was, he was a huge weapon for them, in, at least in the tournament. Right. You saw his maturity throughout the year. And James Anderson, Rotowire's own James Anderson, would just be incredibly proud of you for dropping Arizona Wildcat knowledge like that. I'm, I'm ashamed of you. James would be proud. I would sidebar James, and if you listen to our podcast, you probably you you definitely heard this. James is a, a big fan of the Arizona oh. Wildcats. This is Madison native James Anderson, Minnesota alum James Anderson. He has no attachment no, to the Southwest at all. No connection to the University of Arizona. No connection to that region. Um, it's it's unexplainable. It's, it's it'd be like somebody from I don't know Green Bay being a Jaguars fan. You know, I don't know. Can't believe any, I can't imagine anyone doing something like that. Yeah, you and Nick are weird. Anyways, <laughs> Stanley Johnson, no good transition, so we'll just jump back into it. 
in the long term, this coming season, he could he could back his way into some interesting minutes because, like you said, the shooting guard through the power forward spot is up in the air. So right now, Johnson is six seven. He's two forty five. Charles Barkley was two or was six seven, I think, as well. Right? Charles Barkley was a wonder. Charles Barkley definitely weighed more than two forty five, though. It depends on who you ask with Charles Barkley. I've heard like as low as like six five with him. Like I don't think he was six five. There's no way. But either way, there's just I mean, I don't I don't think that's really the accurate comparison. I'm not sure that I'm not sure you were making that comparison, but yeah, I think there's not in any way. I think you were just trying to back up my point that in certain situations he could play power forward if it came down to it. And you know, it's probably gonna be less than five percent of his minutes, but it could happen. Um, you know, we don't really know necessarily what this Detroit offense is going to look like. When you lose a guy like Greg Monroe, who accounted for so many possessions, things are going to be switched up. You know, right now, he probably projects as their sixth man, you would think. Um, you know, Jody Meeks will probably back up Coldwell Pope, who expects you know, we're expecting him to start at shooting guard. But you look at if Marcus Morris starts at small forward, I think Stanley Johnson is the clear number two there. Tolliver is on that depth chart. Cartier Martin can't get excited about. Um, you know, a guy like Danny Granger, you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. So there's going to be opportunities there for sure. You know, does he reach like the 20 minutes per game threshold as a rookie? I, I think that's probably a good marker for him. Maybe 16 to 20 is what we're looking at, depending on the, the way things shake out. But in his rookie season, if we're looking, and I, and I love to refer to the final quarter of the season, because you have, you have to factor in the entire season in fantasy. Stanley Johnson is a guy that could be averaging eight points, three rebounds, one and a half assists, one whole steal, .3 blocks, and maybe one three-pointer. And so in terms of deep standard leagues, maybe a 16-team league when you're looking on the, you're looking on the waiver wire and you need steals and three-pointers, which op- which uh, always happens for me. If you got a guy averaging one and one on the steals and three pointers in decent numbers in the other areas and you're really deep leagues, he could be fantasy relevant in standard leagues for a rookie just as a really athletic guy who shifts around from the shooting guard to small forward spot. Right. And that, that multi position ability, I think, is going to be huge just as far as finding minutes. And, you know, like you said at the top, that's the main stat that you look for in fantasy overall and especially when it comes to rookies. Another sleeper, I can't. I keep going back and forth on this guy. That's Miles Turner, a guy I didn't really like coming out of Texas a bunch. Um, I think he probably could have used another year there. That said, a lottery pick, a guy who goes into a pretty good situation. Um, Roy Hibbert's no longer in Indiana. Their starting center right now is Jan Mahimi. David West is gone. Luis Scola is gone. It's a team that's kind of been gutted uh, for depth in the front court. And you, and you look at the other options there. It's Lavoy Allen guy like Jordan Hill, who's a little bit undersized, a guy that I do like, but I think he's better suited for the power forward spot. One, if something happens to Jan Mahimi, Miles Turner is probably going to be this team's starting center. Two, even if Jan Mahimi is healthy, I don't think you want him playing 25, 30-plus minutes. So this could be a pretty favorable situation for Turner, who's very raw, but I think going to have the opportunity just because of the lack of depth there. Larry Bird called him the team's best shooter during camp, which I don't know. Larry Bird seems to like hate his own team for the last couple of years. I think that was more a slight at like everyone else because there are some pretty good shooters on this team, like Paul George, for example. Um, but yeah, Larry Bird went on the record and said uh, Miles Turner is quote probably the Pacers' best shooter. Miles Turner shot twenty seven percent from three uh, at Texas last season, so a guy who does have a little bit of range. Um, typically, those kind of those project type of athletic centers it usually takes a while to develop that kind of shot. So he's ahead of development there, I think, as far as his outside shooting. That's certainly not something that Roy Hibbert ever offered. So maybe opens up a new dynamic. It's definitely not something Yamahimi has either. So 
He brings a little bit of a of a different dynamic to the position compared to who else is on the roster. I think that's maybe where he can kind of find his value there and and just be a guy who can step out and stretch the floor unlike the rest of their centers. Listen, people are overlooking Jordan Hill. Like he really wasn't that bad in LA last year. Let me break down his, st- his stats. I, I know it's a number dump, but I apologize. Season high, t- basically 27 minutes per game. 12 points, almost 8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, half a steal, 0.7 blocks. He shot 46% from the field, 74% free throw. That guy is totally fantasy relevant. I wish I could, we could have done a blind where I read that and you tried to guess who it was. In terms of fantasy, if he's a starter, he's really valuable in most leagues. And if I'm the Pacers, too, Jan Mahimi is only good for five minutes. I said this last week with... With, uh, with Josh on Wednesday. That guy comes on in spurts, five to ten minutes, and that's what you get for him. The fact that he's listed as a projected starter is absolutely beyond me. I just don't even think that's fathomable. I just, I just, I just don't believe it. Miles Turner, like you said, Nick, is a project. And I just think Jordan Hill is going to bump up in there and play a lot of minutes because if Turner doesn't progress as well as he should – you know, Jan Mahimi, I just don't think he's he's up for playing even 20 minutes a game. Jordan Hill is a guy I'm going to target in a lot of leagues, bringing this back to the rookie status. It's just another classic example of Miles Turner. He could he could be good. You know, he could be fantasy relevant by the end of the season, but I'm not drafting him because there's a good chance that he could be on the bench quite a bit. He's he's a young guy, and when 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 the Pacers drafted him, they right from the get-go, they said this is a project. I think he is a project. I think for most teams he would be a project, but I don't know if they can necessarily afford to make him a project in year one. I do agree with you. I think Jordan Hill is probably the best option at center. The reason I think they'll start the season with Mahimi and probably ride that out as long as they can is just what he brings defensively. When you're going to start Paul George at the four, you have to have that protection there. And the worry for for a lot of guys who play that stretch four, and, and Shane Battier talked about this over the summer on Zach Lowe's podcast, it's not an offensive issue uh, for him. He's, he basically said, and he was in a unique role with Miami you know, toward the end of his career, Badier we're talking about. He was basically asked, spot up in the corner, shoot threes, and play D. And he said, I didn't mind shooting the four on offense. You know, It was nice. I was going to be shooting threes no matter where I was. But defensively, getting beat up by guys like you know, Zach Randolph on, on a given night. And, and he was smaller than just about any power forward out there. And that's, Paul George is going to be in the same situation. He's a very good perimeter defender. We've seen him. You know, put up great steals numbers, good blocks numbers for his position. Um, but when you're asking him to guard bigger guys, guys who are going to back him down and kind of beat him up inside, that's where the issue is going to be. And if you got, and Jordan Hill's an adequate defender, but he's not the defender that Jan Mahimi is. So I think the reason they're going with Mahimi is just that extra protection for a guy like George. Understand the rationale. I just don't think it's sustainable throughout the season. I well, I don't think this is going to be a very good team. I, I don't, I don't know. Like, what is sustainable? You know, like what what would it take for them to scrap it? I just, I mean, I don't know what their expectations are. I don't, well, I don't they can think make the playoffs. We're talking can. Eastern Conference here. We are. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be looking for the best five, you know, the best two guys to come off the bench. And so they're, they're, Frank Vogel is going to tweak with this lineup to get the, you know, the best out of it. And I don't think having Mahinmi in the starting five is, is going to maximize your potential for a team, a playoff team. Yeah, it, it, this team's going to ride and die by Paul George, I think. And he's looked very good so far in the preseason. That's been great to see. Um, but they're just an average team with oh, yeah. they were an average, average team without him they they lost quite a bit they bring in Monte Ellis now I mean it's just, it's just an odd group you know it's like if you could pick one player that you would think Larry Bird would just really not want on his team it would be Monte, Monte Ellis. Ellis and then what do they do they go out and sign Monte Ellis so 
I think this is a team that probably regrets missing their window a couple years ago when they, they went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, LeBron uh, took care of that. But uh, they're just in, they're in a weird spot right now. They have some nice young pieces, and that's about it. You know, there, there's no depth at all in this team. If, if they have any injuries to, to important guys, things could go south pretty quick. First of all, every team has nice young pieces. That means nothing. I mean, maybe if you're looking at the I didn't Brooklyn say they had nice Nets young pieces. I said they like had that. a couple nice pieces. Oh, a couple nice pieces. Okay, I don't sorry. think they have nice young pieces, unless you unless Paul George is still young, which he kind of is. Um, Somewhat. George Hill's older than people think, probably. Monte Ellis is old. Rodney Stuckey's getting up there. I mean, the only like arguably nice young piece they have is Miles Turner. And who knows if that's going to work out right, or not? Exactly. Right. Devin Booker. He's another guy that I really, really, really liked in Vegas. I did not realize how big he is. Watching him at Kentucky, I don't know if he just got dwarfed playing alongside guys like Towns and, and Collie Stein or what, but he looked like he put on serious weight. He looked like he was in really good shape. He was taller, a lot taller in person than I thought he looked on television. Um, but measurables aside, I think he could end up being a 40-plus percent shooter as a rookie. That's pretty rare. Um, a guy who's not going to be asked to do a whole lot other than spot up, maybe a couple one-dribble pull-ups. I think he could kind of be in a a Chris Middleton type of role for this team as a rookie. I think he could end up being a little more versatile than Chris Middleton when it's all said and done, but he's the youngest guy in the draft. Um, probably, I mean, obviously, I think that makes him the youngest guy in the league, depending on what some of the uh, the post-draft signings were. I, I didn't get ages on all those, but a lot of room to grow. The question with Phoenix is if they made so many changes. You know, you have Eric Bledsoe, you have Brandon Knight. We know that's a starting backcourt. We only got to see them together for, I think, eight or nine games before Brandon Knight ended up going down with that severe ankle injury. So the backcourt still going to be a little bit of a work in progress as far as developing cohesion. They have P.J. Tucker at small forward. I think Devin Booker is about as true of a shooting guard as it gets. That's where they want him to see most of his minutes. He could probably slide up to small forward. I mean, the Suns, as much as any team, kind of vacillate positions like that, um, you know, kind of with their smaller group of power forwards. So I, I don't love his path to playing time right away. I think he's a guy who probably will go undrafted, rightfully so, in most leagues. But if he's available as things pick up, and, and I think he'll end up kind of proving himself and working his way into that rotation, he might be a guy to look at two, three, four months into the year. Uh, a couple things. I think Booker would get eaten alive on the defensive side if he plays small forward. Do you agree with that? At I least think in his he first would. Year, he might he might convert into like like a Wesley Matthews type where he's stone cold shooter from three, and then he really works on his defensive game. Over not, the I mean, not many career. rookies don't get eaten alive defensively. Really, That's I don't. True. I don't think. I don't think it's like projects to be that big of an issue though. I mean, he's six six with shoes, six six eight wingspan, standing reach of almost uh, you know, over eight and a half feet. I think like the measurables are there to be a pretty good defender. Like he's obviously a better defender at the shooting guard spot, but. I think it wouldn't be like that much of an issue that he couldn't be on the court at small forward. Right. So if I'm looking at a rookie from last year to project onto Booker and have similar seasons, it would be uh, of the Utah Jazz, of course, it would be Rodney Hood. A guy coming in from Duke, we know that there's a good, he's a good shooter. If he's given the opportunity, he will knock it down from the three. The rest of his game is a little bit questionable. Um, but in terms of that, and Rodney Hood had a decent season. He had a lot of foot injuries last year. But when he got the minutes, he did put up some points, and he had a nice little season, nice little rookie season, uh, despite the injury. Booker, I'm looking at the same. I mean, I think Booker might be a guy. I'm not sure if the Suns can afford to send him down into the D League because, you know, I guess your backup shooting guard would be Eric Bledsoe, but he's also starting at point guard. So P.J. Tucker, who's starting at the small forward, you look at Booker, and maybe he is the first guy off the bench as a shooting guard. Maybe Archie Goodwin is a guy that he'll he'll split minutes with. Sonny Weems, um, 
it, it's hard to say. I think Booker would really benefit from spending some time in the D League, especially since he didn't play a full workload of minutes at Kentucky. But I'm not sure if the Suns can afford it, actually. Right, that's the thing. I mean, he, he could kind of be their Tyler Ennis in a way this year, a guy who was you know, down to the D-League for a game but was actually on the bench for most of the NBA games, you know, an option at least. Like you said, the depth really isn't there. I think he's, even at you know, 19 years old, is probably a little bit uh, more ready than Ennis was. Rodney Hood, I do like that comparison. He's a guy who uh, you know, 46% of his attempts last year came from three. I think Booker's percentage will probably be higher as a rookie. But Rodney Hood was 22 years old when the season started last year. So I think he's maybe even a little bit further along from a physical development standpoint. And that's even after I just raved about uh, how, how, great, um, yeah, how, how great Devin Booker looked in Vegas from a physical perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. We just haven't seen a guy that's this good of a shooter. But I don't know if he's necessarily a specialist. You know, I think he was asked to be a specialist at Kentucky because they didn't really need him to do anything else. So that's kind of what I'm waiting to see is like when he's not just asked to stand in the corner and spot up, A, does that hurt his three-point shooting percentage? Probably. You know, he's not going to see as many high-percentage looks. You know, obviously the lines move back as well. But B, we won't really know what else he brings to the table quite yet. I mean, we, you know, in, in, unless you watch, you know, a ton of Kentucky basketball last year, which, which a lot of people probably did, but you, know, you don't necessarily – when you think Devin Booker, the first thing you think is lights-out three-point shooter. Like, we, he hasn't really been asked to expand his game yet, so I'm kind of excited to see what that's going to bring outside of three-point shooting. A lot of unknown there. If, if he was a, a solid NBA player – for the next 10 seasons, I don't think it would surprise anybody. If he was a complete bust, would it surprise you? It wouldn't surprise me either. In it terms of rookies me. coming in, I think he has the biggest boom-bust potential in general. Mm. Anybody else? Yeah, I think Willie Cauley-Stein, I think, has a huge bust potential. Well, yeah, um, we're going to talk about But here's here's the thing. If, if, if Booker struggles with the shot from beyond the arc right away— and he does it for two, two and a half seasons, and, and he's probably useless yeah. to all NBA teams. Yeah, that's the thing, is when you come in with that reputation and if you don't live up to it, um, you know, teams can move on pretty quickly. But I, I, I would be surprised if he's, if he's not a very good NBA player, and, and maybe, not, maybe not very good. I, I, don't think, you know, I think his ceiling is like a slightly more athletic Clay Thompson, and that's a very high ceiling, you know, a lot of praise for a guy like Thompson. Um, but like I said, I mean, there are a lot of guys who can shoot the ball in the NBA. So if he's not shooting it at an elite level two, three, four years into his career, that's when things could start to could start to go south. Bobby Portis, the last guy I want to talk about, we'll move a little bit quickly uh, through him and through the rest of these guys. He was a guy that I think, you know, as a Bucks writer myself on the side, I think a lot of people, there was a lot of hype about Bobby Portis to Milwaukee. So I did a lot of research on him and Obviously, Milwaukee ends up going with Rashad Vaughn, who's actually looked pretty good himself in preseason. But Bobby Portis playing very well uh, in expanded preseason minutes for the Bulls. I think we're kind of still in this mode where it, it's going to take a while for me to, A, remember, hey, Tibbs isn't coaching the Bulls anymore. Uh, because you used to almost have to discount rookies and just say, like, well, maybe next year. You know, Derek Rose was, was obviously an exception. And, and I don't even think Tibbs was the coach for Rose, was he, when Rose was a rookie? I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head. I don't know head. either. Um, but – yeah, I think I think even a guy like Miritich last year, in a different situation, he probably would have had an even better rookie season. Um, but Bobby Portis, I think they might he might end up contending with Taj Gibson for minutes off the bench at some point. Gibson was banged up for a lot of last year. He's banged up coming into this year. He's I mean he's a guy who I think a lot of people think is younger than he actually is. I mean he's over thirty years old. He's I think there's an opportunity for Portis more so than there would have been under the previous coaching regime that definitely favored veterans. Yep, and, and you really hit the nail on the head there, Nick. That's, some, that's the most important thing to look at when you're examining Portis. Again, 
he's not going to be as valuable as Gibson to begin the season. Gibson still has the clear edge over Portis, but Portis is kind of like the Taj Gibson in the making over the next couple of years. And of course, Portis will have the opportunity when Powell moves out, maybe when Nico- when Yaki- or Jakeem Noah is out as well. Who knows how long that'll take. But a guy we saw in Vegas, we you know we walked by him because we were there during summer league. All those NBA players are just walking around. Guy we walked by, not an intimate, not necessarily an intimidating figure, but I mean he has size. He's real lanky. His knuckles were you know close to the casino floor. I would say. So he's he's gonna he's 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 a really interesting option. It is awesome that he you know he's gonna have more room to grow now with the coaching change again. Put him, put him on the back burner for a couple of years in terms of fantasy. Right, and these sleeper guys that we're talking about, we're not saying go out and draft them right now. We're saying these are the four guys that you want to probably keep an eye on as things stand right now, and as they, as they do every year, things will change once the regular season gets underway. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. In week six, DraftKings will be hosting another Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1.2 million goes to the first-place winner. If you go to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE, you can play free with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. That promo code, again, is ROTOWIRE. That'll get you a free entry now if you're making your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, now the not-so-rosy part of the podcast. and We talk about rookies that we don't like quite as much as the, the, the seven or eight guys that we just talked about in the first section. We'll start with a guy who I touched on briefly, and that's Willie Cauley-Stein. He was one of my favorite college players probably ever, honestly, and that's, that's saying a lot um, considering, uh, you know, considering all the names that have come through college basketball. Um, every name, I don't every wanna, name has literally come through college literally, basketball. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and this guy's got three of them. Uh, first of all, he cut his hair. He had kind of like the, the Derek Williams, Wiz Khalifa dyed dreadlocks going this is a cool look. which was great yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I'm eternally jealous of that look and he <laughs> cut that so that that's a bad sign first of all um real quick I, mean, I have to interject because you are the co-worker you are my co-worker who when he was eight years old went to the barber shop they asked what haircut you wanted and you said cornrows right yes <laughs> caveat caveat being um well you know I didn't have long hair uh, at the time. Never really have had long enough hair to have cornrows. I don't really know what kind of length you're looking at for something like that, but I've never really had hair longer than like an inch and a half, maybe two inches. I don't, that might even be pushing it. So like eight-year-old me was like a huge Latrell Sprewell fan. Yes. And there's photos at, at, there are photos at my mom's house of me and my, my kid's medium Sprewell jersey with like a painted on goatee because I was like, I'm going to look like Sprewell. I'm going to watch this this Knicks game. And so I, st- I was started on Sprewell from a very young age. Why Sprewell? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, according to her, and I don't really remember this, I was very young. She said she brought me to a, a barber shop in Appleton, Wisconsin. They said, well, what are we doing? And I apparently asked them because I, I knew how I knew the cornrow dynamic, you know, from, from my years of studying Sprewell. Sure. Um, and I, I was like, well, can you just like shave rows in my hair? Yes. Like so, instead of going with the actual braiding, I just was like, oh, well, this is just as good. You know, we'll just we'll just like cut rows in the hair so it looks like cornrows. And my mom put the kibosh on that pretty quickly, believe it or not. Um, I w- I'm going to make that dream come true one day for you. One day, we're going to come into the office. I'm going to have a barbershop set if up. If I like fall asleep on your right. couch, maybe that's like the only way. I feel like that's going to. Ha- you think I'm just going to let you do that? I, I'm just. I'm trying to make dreams maybe for come charity. True. <laughs> yeah. Make dreams come true. Um, Wire fantasy basketball charity Nick Whalen corner right. shaved into his head for events. the cure for the cure. Yes. Um, oh, to Michael Scott. Yes. Um, 
So Willie Colley Stein, uh, the hair decision, like I said, that I think that knocked him down in a lot of drafts, especially on my big board. Um, but the bigger thing for him is one, I don't like rookies that go to the Kings. The Kings are not very good at developing rookies. Demarcus Cousins is obviously an exception, though I think Demarcus Cousins is a very good basketball player and would have become a very good basketball player for any team. You look at some of the other rookies, who's to blame? I don't know. Is it is it the player themselves? Is it the organization? I tend to think it's probably a little bit of both, just not a team that's very been very good at developing rookies. I mean, over the, there's like a 10 to 15 year, uh, you know, sample size that you can look at here, and they they just haven't done a good job of it. I think he's a very valuable asset. I think he's a guy that, like, there's not a team in the league that wouldn't want Willie Cauley-Stein just because of the unique abilities that he brings on the defensive end. I just think if we're talking from a pure fantasy standpoint, this is not a guy that's going to be putting up a lot of counting stats in year one. So here's basically just a quick rundown of who the Kings passed over to get Stein at number six. Emmanuel Moutier, Stanley Johnson, Frank Kaminsky, Justice Winslow, Miles Turner, Devin Booker, Trey Lyles, Kelly Oubre, Cameron Payne, uh, it goes on, but you know that that's your that's your tier right there that you passed up to get it. It almost seemed like they drafted Stein because that's who Cousins wanted, and that was a time if you remember that they were really trying to appease Cousins, the whole George Carl thing, snake in the grass, all that was going on, and allegedly Cousins wanted Stein. I, I, did you hear reports of that? And yeah, so, no, no, I, so no, I, I, I just, I just think the, the snake in the grass gate. I kind of forgot that about was, that. That was a crazy time in that our was. lives, actually. That was. Uh, what a day. What it a was, summer for emojis, really. Oh, my gosh. The summer of emojis. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, um, so it's. I don't think it's a great fit. You could have had maybe Ben McLemore is a guy that's coming along, but maybe you could have got some shooting guard depth, uh, a guy behind Rajon Rondo. I know you have Darren Collison. Anyways, in terms of fantasy – I guess he's going to be on the court quite a bit. Kosa Kufos is the next guy behind him, and Kufos is a guy that has played legitimate NBA minutes in the past, and he can step in there if Kali Stein really isn't performing that well. So that's something to be on the lookout for, for sure. Yeah, and like I said, I think he can give you steals. I think he'll give you decent blocks numbers. Rebounds. Rebounds. Even rebounds, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical that the numbers will be high enough that he's really worth rostering at all. Uh, I just don't think he's going to score much. I think all, almost all of his scoring is going to come off of like second chance opportunities, fast break points, not to the point that it's going to be reliable. So I guess if, you know maybe if you're in a deeper league and you're looking for kind of a specialist uh, defensively, almost like a, a poor man's Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who maybe has more potential for for blocks and steals. Even um, you know, Colley Stein might be the guy, but he doesn't necessarily have a clear path to huge minutes right away. And I think he'll be enough of a liability and kind of a project guy that he won't be on the court for for you know big stretches at a time. Mario Hazonia, I'm interested to see your feelings on him. Shown some really nice things in camp. I think he's a little bit further along, a little bit more NBA-ready than maybe I expected. That said, I still think he's very raw. I think he steps into a situation where there's already a solid backcourt in place in Orlando. He's going to be coming off the bench. Not a situation that I love right away. Right, and I totally agree. He, for me, he's been the surprise of preseason so far, and maybe that's a big leap to take. But I really wasn't expecting too much out of him, an unknown really, uh, coming from the draft for me personally. And what I've seen from him, mentioned this with Josh last Wednesday, is just absolute swagger. That guy has incredible confidence, and that's totally underrated, Nick. Uh, One thing I said to Josh, and I want your take on this, is Anthony Bennett doesn't have any swagger, right? At this point in his career, there's no way that he's going hitting in the court with confidence. Mario's a guy, to me, that he's going to step out there and and really feel confident in his game. And sometimes that's half the battle as an NBA rookie. But I think that can go both ways. You think so? I don't think I don't. I think that was a low blow bringing Anthony Bennett into this. First of okay, all, okay, fair um, enough. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think. Well, I mean, you've heard Toronto sources. Sun. I think. Yeah, you've, I mean, I've seen multiple. You know, you know, national sources saying like Mario Hazonia is the cockiest rookie to come into this league in a long time. And I think there's a very, very fine line between cocky and confident. I think he might find out very quickly that he needs to regress toward the confident side and you know away from the cocky side. Um, as you're well aware, veterans in the NBA probably don't take too kindly. Uh, to a rookie, a foreign rookie, especially a guy they really don't know anything about uh, coming in and, and acting like he owns the place. So this is going to be a, a very, very fun team to watch. The, the, like, the, the roster is really not that much different from last year. You're adding in Hazonia. You're getting presumably more games out of Aaron Gordon and another year of development. But they weren't very good last year. It, they were still one of the more fun teams to watch. I think they take a step forward as far as wins, and I think they become even more fun to watch as you're adding in a dynamic athletic guy like Hazonia. Again, though, I just don't think the minutes are there. I don't think he gives you really anything outside of scoring right now. He's not going to give you assists. He's not going to give you very good rebounding numbers, very good defensive numbers. I just don't think the fantasy potential is there. Yep, you're totally right on that. I, I, I completely agree. Yes, yes, I kind of like that he is uh, maybe more arrogant and really confident. We'll see if that pans out. It'll be probably pretty obvious in the first couple months of the season. But he's probably slotted for 12 to 16, maybe 12 to 18 minutes. It's just not enough, especially as a rookie. And you look at this team, and it's a whole bunch of young guys that have a lot of potential. His own is just one in, in a grab bag of guys that need a lot of minutes, but just they just can't afford it. All right, not a ton of time left, but we'll talk about a couple more guys real quickly. Kristaps Porzingis, I think a lot like Hazonia, his impact is probably going to be felt more two, three years down the road. He's a guy that's put up really good numbers in the preseason in, in limited minutes. I think he's played 21 minutes in both of the Knicks preseason games uh, in which he participated, had 10 rebounds in one of those games. A guy who, like, I don't think people realize how huge he is. And maybe now people are starting to realize when, like, media day photos and stuff came out. Like, Robin Lopez has a good, like, two, three inches of hair on his head, mm-hmm. and he's seven feet. And, like, Porzingis still dwarfs him. It, it's, it's really incredible how big this guy is and how athletic he is for his size. I remember hearing Phil, Jack- <clears throat> excuse me, hearing Phil Jackson compare him to Sean Bradley. And I was thinking, like, wow. what, an, what an odd comparison, you know? And I was like, well, I guess, I mean, he's only a couple inches shorter than Sean Bradley if you really think about it. Um, so I think I think he's going to be a nice player down the road. I think he's maybe the biggest mystery of this draft and uh, a guy that a lot of people are excited about. But like I said, like Hazonia, probably going to be a more down-the-road guy. I think the Knicks can get tricked into thinking they're going to compete for the A seed this year, and that could kind of lead them to, to leave him on the bench a little bit more and not really let him loose as much. And when you have guys like Aaron Aflalo, Robin Lopez, Carmelo Anthony, those are three NBA caliber starters. That's more than the Knicks could say that they had for most of last year. So we, you know, we kind of joked about the Lakers competing for the eight seed out west. But I don't. I really hate to say this as well, and I don't want to. I don't like that this is on the record. But the Knicks could be in outside contention for that eighth seed. I don't know sure. that. I don't know that this Knicks team is a whole lot worse uh, than a team like the Pacers. Yeah. No. I I completely agree with you, especially if Melo stays healthy. Uh, Porzingis, like you said, is the biggest mystery of this draft. I'll keep it quick because everybody likes to talk about him. And right now, we're just left with a lot of unanswered questions that I can't wait to figure out come this season. I'm not touching him anywhere. If I'm going to have the choice, I would rather draft Kylo Quinn, who seems to be the backup behind Porzingis at this point. I think O'Quinn offers more in the way of fantasy from right now. But, of course, by this point in the podcast, you know that I favor guys who has a track record already. All right, the last guy I want to talk about, uh, and then we can go over if you have any more that we might have missed, Sam Decker. Um, you know, us being here in Madison, this is a name that I personally I get asked about him all the time from from friends and, and other people who are just kind of curious what his role is going to be. 
I don't think he's going to have a very big role in year one. Um, I think he's a guy that has great size for the position. I think in his role, if he's going to play as a rookie, he's going to be as a spot-up shooter. And he never really showed, at least at Wisconsin, that he's a good enough spot-up shooter to hold that role. Houston's never been afraid to use the D-League. Um, you know, they have their own franchise that they own and operate and kind of use it as a, a science lab Rio for basketball, Grande Valley, basically. Baby, right, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. I think I mean, we're going to see Rio Grande Valley jerseys flying off the shelves here in Madison, I'm sure. Well, they're red, um, so that would coincide with the Badgers. Exactly. So here's the thing about Decker. I grew up, basically I saw almost every home game he played at the Kohl Center. Our office is right behind the Kohl Center. Nick, we both went to Wisconsin, probably both had season tickets. Saw a lot of him. I think that he's not, you're right, he's not going to play because the Houston loves to send guys down to the D-League. And that's a benefit to Decker. Yeah, he goes to those NBA camps and he's the guy that guards LeBron. And everyone says in those camps when there's no specific coach telling him what to do, he's amazing. But he has the benefit of learning from Trevor Ariza, from learning from Corey Brewer. So if he doesn't see a lot of minutes, and maybe he only plays in like 41 games this season, averaging 9.5 minutes or something like that as a realistic role, that's not a bad thing. we got to think long-term here. Guys can play in the NBA for up to 14, 15 years. Not sure if he'll be able to do that. But if, if he can do the, the take the backseat role, really learn, and when he's given minutes, he'll be ready. I think it's a good situation for him fantasy don't touch him basically right you can't touch him at all in year one this is a Rockets team that a lot of people think is a, a true title contender and I, I agree with that I think Same here. I think it's hard to argue against them being a contender um it's it still remains uh, a pretty a pretty warm take to choose them over San Antonio Golden State OKC out west but this is a team that was in the Western Conference Finals last year Dwight Howard only played 41 games for them um arguably the most fun team to watch in the west and that's saying a ton because you could probably choose from six or seven and, and throw that title around. But, yeah, again, just to finish up, Sam Decker, not a guy that you want to be touching in almost any format. Dynasty formats, obviously, are, are a little bit of an exception. But anything kind of you know single season long, I just don't see that, that the impact's going to be there. Any other guys you want to touch on quickly before we head out? Uh, just one more because I know we're running short on time. Frank Kaminsky, of course, he's a Wisconsin guy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not, bringing, up just be, I'm not bringing him up just because I, myself, and Nick is a Wisconsin guy. I'm bringing him up because he would probably be a pretty good compliment to Al Jefferson as a stretch four. You wonder if he can beat out Zeller, Marvin Williams, and Spencer Hawes. That's a lot of competition It's like there. the saddest sentence of all it time. It is the saddest sentence of all time. The thing is that there's a lot of competition there, but if Comiskey come in, really proves himself, uh, he might find an interesting spot, a spot in the starting five next to Al Jefferson by the end of the season. But starting now, again, he's a guy that I, I'm just not willing to touch really at all. The amount of assets that the Charlotte Hornets not gave up but passed on, I guess, you know, if, if you believe that Danny Ainge really offered five first-round picks or whatever it was uh, to get to, to trade up and into that spot, they end up taking Kaminsky. They have a lot riding on him turning into a, a very good NBA player. I think the ceiling is probably pretty low for him in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, as far as just you know, what he brings to the table, but. They're going to give him every chance that that they can to succeed, and I don't think that necessarily means they'll throw him in there as like the, the entrenched starter from day one because of all those other names you mentioned. But I also don't think he's going to be buried on the bench unless he you know really buries himself there with his play on the court. So you know even if he's not in a starting role, I think this team is going to to give him every single chance that they can to prove that he was worth that pick. Real quick, one minute story here. My girlfriend's mom travels a lot for work. She was in Charlotte. She loves the Badgers. She was at uh, she was at a cafe, 
and Frank Kaminsky was in line with her in Charlotte. And nobody's coming up to Frank. She's the only one who knows who he is. He gets up to the register, and the girl that takes his order, that you know, they take the name. Right. And she's like, uh, excuse me, sir, what's your name? And my girlfriend's mom were like, it's Frank Kaminsky. How do you not know it's Frank Kaminsky? So <laughs> maybe by the end of the season, people in Charlotte will know who Frank Kaminsky is. He's such a unique-looking guy. Like, you oh, could even, You could understand if it's like a guard who's 6'2 or something, you know. And, yeah. But a seven-foot guy who you've seen plastered on your TV, presumably, for the last six, seven months, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. We'll see. You know, he, he has uh, he's a lot to prove. Maybe uh, maybe the baristas out in Charlotte will know his name in the next couple of months. I think that's fair to say. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire basketball podcast. Again, we're presented by DraftKings.com. They're the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use that promo code Rotowire for a free contest entry today. You can also use the promo code Rotahoops. I think we got multiple promo codes. Um, you know, as DraftKings is known to do. Uh, so feel free to, to, to use either of those, and you can get that free contest entry with your first deposit. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.